Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, A quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her. A report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them. And a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. How good are you at loving yourself? Self-love is one of those terms that get thrown around a lot, but what does it actually mean in practice? I know a lot of us can relate to being able to treat the woman we love better than we treat ourselves. And maybe it seems like self-love is something we need to have before we can treat ourselves as well as we treat the women we fall for. But actually, the opposite turns out to be true. It's by treating ourselves in a certain way that we can create self-love, even if the self-love wasn't there before, and even if we're starting from a shameful or dark or painful place. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talk to Coco McKenzie, who gives us specific practical advice for exactly how to do this, including what practices we can put into our lives to build self-love regardless of what we've been through or how we feel about ourselves. This is a really impactful episode from beginning to end, so I recommend you don't miss any of this interview with the one and only Coco McKenzie. Coco, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Um, Coco and I met through Annie Lala, which is just about uh, the highest endorsement you can have is coming through Annie Lala to me. So. I was so excited to meet you. I'm so excited to share your wisdom here. Thank you. And um, I'm excited to dive right in. So tell us who you are. <laughs> tell us who you are. Tell us why you even know Annie. Tell us, you know, what, you're, the work, what is the work that you're doing and how did you end up, how do we end up meeting? Tell the whole story. Oh, man. Well, I'd also <laughs> love to just to follow with Annie is one of the most amazing people that I have ever met. She inspires me her and Eben and their daughter love is just out of this world amazing and us meeting at that conference really did shift a lot of things for me and I'm deeply grateful anyone who knows me knows that I feel the same way about Eben and Annie I think they're just such unbelievable teachers and I feel so lucky that to have learned from them and to get to meet the people that I met through them so yeah yeah, absolutely They're, they're remarkable. Yeah. Um, but I, I met Annie through mutual friends because of my work um, with the sexually abused community. So that all started. Um, well, my life went through a major transition when I moved to LA when I was 19. Before that, I was raised in a religious cult. And I left 
fairly early because I always, although I couldn't put my finger on what was weird and off about my upbringing, I always knew that there was something and I could just feel that in my gut. And so I moved away at a very young age to New York City. And then after New York, I came to LA. And when I moved to LA, I got a divorce at a, at a very young age. I think I was like, uh, my timelines are off. I think I was like 20 years old. I think we had only been married like eight or so months. And I knew that the woman I was, or the, the really the child I was when I got into that marriage was not the woman I wanted to become. I got married because it was the highest and greatest calling for a woman and really because I wanted to have sex before Jesus came back. So I got married so that I could do that without going to hell. And then after a few months of living in LA, I realized that the world is so much bigger than the barn that I was raised in. And so I got a divorce, got kicked out of the cult, lost all of my community. Um, and three months after that, I was raped by um, a stranger. It was an ex-employer of mine um, who I'd only, only known a couple of days. And I was raped. And that really set my entire life. It just tore my entire life apart going from, you know, only having one sexual partner and thinking that if I did anything inappropriate, I'd go to hell to three months later being raped and not knowing how to handle that or having any sort of community and support to be able to process that. And, you know, in my upbringing, it was if that, if anything like that ever happens to you, you're damaged goods and you are stained and you will never be worthy or okay again. And so I, pursued a four and a half year lawsuit against my rapist and learned a fuck ton through that process. And it nearly killed me twice. I was hospitalized for stress-induced hemorrhaging. I suffered from massive amounts of depression and, you know, went through the wide range of being sexually promiscuous, trying to find my power to training with dominatrix to finding Tantra and traveling the world, studying with grandmothers and teachers and healers to try and figure out how we actually heal from sexual abuse. Wow, that's quite a journey. Yeah, so that's the quick version. No, I mean, I never, I didn't know that was your backstory. I'm, I'm just so, just because when I see you, you look like literally the world's most gorgeous put together person imaginable. And... Uh, it's such a, I can't believe this is the journey that comes, that you are coming from a religious cult married at 19 raped when you have no community, when you've been kicked out of your community. Um, and then you're telling the story and I'm thinking, you know, you go from saying, you know, hemorrhaging to dominatrix to tantra all in one quick summary, you know? <laughs> Um, whoa, what, you know, <laughs> uh, so there's a lot to unpack in all of that. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to unpack it. Um, I'm totally, ha yeah, I'm happy to talk about anything, um, at, at whatever detail, um, is helpful because sexual abuse in America happens every f 98 seconds. Wow. And we do not have the support around it as a society. 
the legal system is still serving and protecting the perpetrators. That lawsuit was literally, I literally felt crazy for four and a half years because you have this, this part of you that is exhausted and being beaten up and called a whore and, and being told that I wanted it and like just ripped to shreds. And then you have the, you know, the other, you know, angel or devil, whatever you want to call it, sitting on your other shoulder going, don't you fucking stop. And it, and you just, you like your internal dialogue, my, my internal dialogue has never been more at war with itself nonstop for four and a half years. Well, it just shows the strength of character inside of you, the part of you that loved yourself enough to say, you don't fucking do that to me and get away with it, you know, and you really clearly have a fighter inside of you. And that's amazing. Not everyone has that. It's really honorable. I did not fight for myself at all. I did not have the self-worth to fight for myself. I did not have the self-worth to do any of that for me. I did it because I had this. Yeah, I did it because I imagined myself being a mother. And I saw my unborn children running up to me what you know it's all in my imagination of course but I like I imagine them running up to me and I crouched down and my my unborn son was like telling me that he got bullied and then my I, I saw my daughter telling me that she's getting bullied and I, I had this flash of somebody picking on my kids and it was it was from in that moment that I was like what bothered me and what caused me the most pain about being in my own childhood was how hypocritical my family was. And the thought of telling my unborn children, you stand up for yourself. You don't let anybody push you around. You deserve the nothing but, but respect always. I, I wanted to say that in, in this future imagination. And I realized I would not be able to say that in complete integrity if I do not stand up for myself now. But I was not worth the battle at all. And I know that many women feel this way because it, it is like climbing. It's like free climbing Mount Everest. It feels impossible and it's very risky and very dangerous. And you do have to have something in, in my case, I needed something bigger than myself. Yeah, and you it sounds like you tapped into like the universal mother or something, you know, this this sense of just wanting to be the best possible mother, just the highest version of yourself or I don't know what you want to call it, but you clearly are tapped into something beautiful and good and you were able to call in that to protect yourself um from a place even bigger than you. That's so awesome. That's so inspirational. Mm-hmm. And that's a good question that we can all ask um when facing a challenge. Anyone facing a challenge what would be the inner process then to do what you did? Well, I love how you tied it back into being the universal mother and um, kind of talking about our own, like, um, in coaching or therapy, it's, it's more referred to parts work. So we all have pieces and parts of ourselves um, at every stage. So all of us have you know, an inner, an inner child, a teenager, a, a higher self, however you, whatever, 
whatever phrasing you identify with, it, it doesn't really matter as long as you can connect to um, either the emotions, sensations, or the visuals of it. Um, and speak to it that way. But one way that I would say we could apply this um, is to either think of yourself as a young girl and what you want for her. If you were the perfect mother, if you were love itself, which you are, but sometimes we forget. So if you were love itself, and you were looking at your little girl, what would you want for her? What would be the most loving and and best and most supportive thing for her? Or in my case, because I couldn't tap into that, imagining my future children. Um, or for some people, it's, it's your partners. What would you want for them? Like, just think of, my, my, uh, my first suggestion would be to think of the piece of you, um, a piece of yourself that needs this most, but if that doesn't feel, um, or even just a little girl you never met before, like an innocent little girl, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's so, cause sometimes like you're saying, if we can't love ourselves, but yeah, exactly what you did. And then even if you couldn't stick up for yourself, you stuck up for her or you showed her how to stick up for yourself because you wanted her to be able to see it. Yeah. Cause I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be hypocritical. Yeah. Which is, yeah, a big, it's a big pain point in my upbringing because yeah. of religious background. So that, that for me, it was both the desire and the, and the fear. <laughs> well, talk about hypocrisy. Clearly this is a big theme for you. Oh man. Uh, it's, am I allowed to say bad words on this podcast? Sure. Let's say it. <laughs> Just to know how sensitive I need to be. Yeah. This isn't a, a religious podcast. <laughs> Thank God. Um, um, man, hypocrisy. So I, it's all I knew. It's all I ever fucking felt until I got out of my immediate family. And while I can't speak for everyone's experience with religion, um, nor do I I don't, I really try not to put just blanket statements over anything, but my personal experience was absolutely horrible. I was raised to believe that the woman is the body of Christ or the church and the man is God. The man, the man is the head and the woman has to serve the man no matter what. And if the man makes a mistake or is sinful or is a human and messes up. It's the woman's fault. So I was raised by a mother who, no matter what she did, was never enough. She could, like, when I, when I think about my mom and I, I, we've done a lot of transformational work and therapy and I no longer feel this way. We have a much better relationship now, but growing up, when I look at my mom who was, clinically depressed and um, really in a lot of pain and had a lot of unhealed trauma. I just always, like, it was like you could look at her forehead and see, I can't, painted across her forehead. Like she wore it like a sign. And that's what she believed and how she went through the world. And that put a lot of pressure on 
me, um, or I, I assumed a lot of pressure, I guess I should say. Pressure to what? Pressure to take care of my three brothers, pressure to make my mom happy because she was so sad, mm. pressure to get recognized by the pastor so that I would be loved more, so that God would pick me and give me a higher calling. And that would, that's, it, it mattered in my family. I don't even know what it was going to do for me, but at, you know, seven, 10, 12 years old, like that's, that's, that's so intense. Want. Yeah, of course. If that's what they believe, then at seven, you don't know anything else. That's so intense. And you had this light inside. You just knew this is something like drove you away from it saying this, there has to be more. It just, it never made sense. Mom's telling me that dad is God and he can do no wrong. But then my dad's hitting my mom and, you know, gone for months at a time and never being loving. So if God's loving and dad is God and dad's not loving and dad's hitting mom, but mom's wrong, something just doesn't make sense. So there was a period and, and, for, and truly, I also at the same time, I really wanted to believe it. That was the way that I received love was by being a, a good girl for God. So even though I always felt like something was off, it always felt like some, something was a lie, like something's not right. I did also equally believe it and pursue it because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And you're clearly good at being good at things and like being a good girl, right? So I'm sure you were able to pull it off what they wanted it like right did you get in trouble all the time or were you like good at being no no yeah. never yeah I I didn't have sex until my wedding night I was a very good girl <laughs> oh man but now you teach the exact opposite of all this so okay so that's so that's hypocrisy um so that makes sense why hypocrisy would be such a big deal to you and why in that moment when you were facing your perpetrator the part of you that wanted to not be a hypocrite was stronger, was, was stronger than anything else, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So we were on the topic then of going from hemorrhaging to dominatrix to tantra. (laughs) And we're up to the part of you uh, facing your perpetrator. You had no community. You, you, you have no past at this point because your family abandons you. You're, just recently divorced from maybe the only stability you had and three months into it this horrible thing happens to you where you must have felt more violated and angry and and then at the same time because you're because of where you came from in your belief system also ashamed and broken in a million ways and but yet somehow there's enough goodness in you that cares enough about the kind of mother you want to be that you're able to stand up for yourself and put your life back together to the point where you're going from hemorrhaging and broken to dominatrix to tantra. It sounds like an incredible journey. So like, how does one, how did you put your life back together? How did you find all the strength and, and now to be doing what you're doing in the world today? I don't feel like I had a choice. I felt like the walking dead. I felt like a zombie. I was skin and bones. I didn't sleep for two years. I'd have to watch I Love Lucy every night to try and get a few hours of sleep. Because if I didn't go to sleep laughing or have some sort of positive, something positive in the background going, I'd have night terrors. And I, my body was living in a constant state of trauma where I felt like I was getting raped every night. 
And my body started to give out because I was in a chronic state of panic and stress and pain. But the second time I was hospitalized, it's kind of fuzzy, but I remember, that's because I don't know if I was on medication at this point, but I was, it was my second hospital visit. And what I remember is the nurse or the doctor grabbing my shoulders and like, not, not shaking me, but, but grabbing my shoulders and being very serious with me and telling me that I should not let this kill me. And I cannot let this kill me, but it will if I keep going like this. Wow. And what was going to kill you? Just, just the not sleeping, the panic, the stress, the pain? He was telling you to stop being stressed out? Like, what, was his, what was he advising you to even do? He, wasn't, he was advising me to figure it out. He didn't advise, well, I mean, they offered me depression medication and pain meds and all these other things, but I refused to take them because I felt numb and disconnected from my body enough. The last thing I needed to do was be more in my head and more numb. And I had been going to talk therapy, but it doesn't fucking work. I'm in my head. I've already been raped every possible way. It happens to me every night in my dreams. I've already thought about all the possible ways that I could have brought this on myself or that I deserved this or and all, all the ways that, no, I fucking didn't. He, like, I did nothing to deserve this. Like, I've already run through this a million times. The last thing I need is to keep talking. That was the turning point was when the doctor basically was like, you need to figure it out. And it was, I think it was having someone reflect to me how bad it was that made me go, oh, shit. All right, what are we going to do? So what are we going to do? What would you do? <laughs> and that's when things get fun. That's, <laughs> um, I left my job at the top global sports media company, and I was absolutely determined to heal. Because I remember saying to my, I remember sitting on my front porch at night with mint tea in my journal bundled up like like five blankets cocooned under there. You could, it was cold, so cold I could see my breath. And I remember realizing I'm either going to die in this much pain or I'm going to die trying to get out of it. And I chose the latter. And so I left my life in LA and I started in Hawaii with a yoga teacher training because that was as hippie and spiritual as I could feel the starting point. And uh, it wasn't to be a yoga teacher, but I knew, I was like, all right, three weeks of yoga, that's probably good. And I had no plan, but I was knew that I was going to follow the life. I was going to follow the opportunities and I was going to trust where life brought me if I was vulnerable. And I knew that I would end up in the right space if I let my honesty lead the way. And so when I arrived in Hawaii, to the people that I felt comfortable, I'd share a bit of my story. And they all connected me. This healer, this teacher, this shaman, this training, this sexual practice, like it all perfectly connected itself over the next couple of years. I mean, you also were just sort of dropped in there. So I left my job working for the world's top sports media company or something like that. Which, I don't know, so, because I also had a totally different picture of, I didn't realize how already successful you had made yourself at that point, because the, the other side of the story was, I'm living in a religious cult and 19 and married, you know, so you also still in, in that ended up, how, what, how did you have all that <laughs> success also on the other side? I mean, that's kind of another thing you just ran through. <sighs> 
I got that job because in the interview, on my third and final interview for that company, I was scared shitless. I knew that so many other candidates, so I didn't go to university. I was literally homeschooled, raised in a barn. I have zero education behind me, zero. If you asked me to tell you any of my timetables right now, my face would turn beet red and I'd probably start crying. Like I have no formal education, but I'm honest and I work hard and I can solve any problem. And so on my third and final interview with this comp- with um, Wasserman Media Group, when the hiring manager like sat down at the white oval table and put her hand on the resume and I was supposed to slide it over, I didn't move my hand. And she looked at me and I told her that she will probably find more qualified and more educated candidates, but she will not find someone more honest who will work harder. And I got the job. Hot. Damn, you go, girl. So that's how I got that. And then how many years did you work there before this other story starts where you're determined to heal? And A couple of years. A couple of years. And now you're, as a yoga teacher in Hawaii, training, like at a yoga teacher training in Hawaii, and from there you just get sent to healer after healer after healer. Yes. It's also badass that as this totally independent person, you also are able to sort of finance all that because it doesn't sound like your parents and the religious cult were exactly able to do that for you. No, of course they weren't. Um, also, my family didn't know about it. So, um, yes, I was able to... But, sure, I was, a- I was able to finance it, but again, I was going to die or I was going to die healing like I didn't have a choice but what I'm saying is if people if you care about it you're gonna figure it out and I didn't have a choice and living in a jungle hut in Hawaii is actually really cheap because you live on the land for free and you garden for trade and like you know there it's not a it's not I wasn't staying at the Ritz going through proper trainings I was I was doing body work on people after you know once I reached a certain level of training I was doing body work on people, let's see, for eight hours a day for no money. And then I would clean and scrub the toilets and garden. And like, this was like Mr. Miyagi shit. It wasn't like fancy trainings that most people, like nobody would probably want to do this. I think it sounds amazing. And it's amazing that you found all this. Keep telling me everything. This is great. (laughs) I No, it saved my life. I'm incredibly grateful, but it's, I just don't want to paint the picture that like it was fancy living for a couple of years. It was not. I love it. This is amazing. You're amazing. So then you're on this journey and you're living off the land and you're being of service. Talk more about this journey. So from Hawaii, um, so I, I did the yoga training there and then found one of the most if I had to accredit my healing to one person, it would be to Jody Mountain, who taught me Ke'alahuku, which is sacred body work. Um, and she is a no-joke healer and teacher, and her retreats are not fancy or easy, but they will change your life. So I'm in deep gratitude to Jody. And then from there... But, well, let's just get into it, though. Sacred body work. What is it? What do you learn there? What do you do there? (laughs) 
Shoddy Mountain is, is the most intense trainings ever. Um, it's like you die into yourself. It is the most sacred awakening. It's the most profound experiences. I have, I have, I work with psychedelics. I have tried many, um, I don't use them as drugs. I, I, I've never, like, I don't go to bars or clubs or music festivals and do drugs, but I have used medicine in deep therapeutic ways where we're doing body work or we're, I've used it with the 13 grandmothers of the indigenous tribes around the world, but we're in full ceremony and we're chanting around a fire. Like I've used medicine. And what I learned and got from Jody is that we are the medicine and I can access those psychedelic realizations and journeys through my own body, through all of my life, meeting all of someone else's life, skin to skin. Like she is an alien living on planet earth. She's the most amazing healer. Um, and so she does these body work trainings called Ke'ela Huku, which means pathway to the stars. And I wish I could explain what happens, but that is just something that you have to be ready to die into. And you'll be so grateful you did. Um, Damn. What else can you tell me? <laughs> what are you? So now when you're doing work, are you using what you learned there? Yes, that and more. So I've taken those principles. And so what I do now is basically I lead personal 48-hour retreats where people come and stay with me in Southern California. I, well, I've traveled a few places, but usually people stay with me. And we're in full ceremony for 48. They have no contact with the outside world. And we it's like we're going along their unique life path. And we're bending over and we're picking up every stone and we're turning it over and we're fully examining it. And we're... we're never missing anything. We fill every gap. We turn over every rock. We meet every need for 48 hours through breath work, meditation, medicine ceremonies, sacred body work, tantra, um, talk therapy. Because in order to fully heal, we have to be aligned. And you have seven bodies. And most people don't get that. So you have your physical body, you have your emotional body, your intellectual body, your spiritual body, your cellular body, your sexual body, and your bliss body. And in order to align, to, to be fully awake, to be happy, to like really live this life, you have to have all seven in line. So basically what we do for 48 hours is we get those seven in line, all working on the same team. You have no inner wars. You're not confused anymore. You are living so on your purpose. And then from there, we do 10 weeks of integrative therapy, like coaching sessions um, after that. But so a massive part of the, everything that I've learned through my travels is now put into these retreats. Um, and Jody's body work, the Ke'ela Hoku, is a really big part of that. Um, so what does it mean when you're, so when you say Tantra with one-on-one -on -one clients, when you say you're incorporating that, what does that mean in a context of, uh, in a therapeutic context like that or in a depends. healing context is what I mean. It, it depends. There's no set curriculum for, there's no set curriculum. Everybody needs different things. We heal different ways. Um, 
some person might need to, you know, maybe we're in a four hour sacred bodywork session and they're on medicine and we're in the middle of a ceremony and we need to have an, like a, an, a hip adjustment or, um, or also it would be under the tantric belt is eye gazing and getting in touch with our sexual and creative power while we're, so it's not, it's not sexual in nature. So we're, I'm not touching, um, like there's no internal work for women. Um, it's, it's about the point of these retreats is so that you can remember who you are so that you can tap in to your own power and remember that you are limitless and have everything that you need and that you are your own greatest healer. I have to do nothing but hold the space for you. And yes, I support through body work, breath work, meditation, yoga. Like, yes, I'm, I'm here to create that safe container for you, but you do it. I don't, you, I, you don't need me. So for people at home that may never be able to, you know, there are people all over the world who may never be able to afford to fly to Southern California and even meet you. What are some things that women can do to become their own greatest healer and to, you know, access the part of like, what is it, you know, help, help people at home understand. Yeah. To become their greatest healer. Well, we are our greatest healers. And I think one of the easiest ways of remembering that is learning how to breathe. Our breath is our life force. If we stop breathing, we're no longer here. We need to breathe. And so when we consciously use our that energy, our breath, it is one of the best medicines. I've seen it heal years of trauma in an hour. So what does it mean to learn how to breathe? What does it mean to use breath to heal? Like what would someone be doing differently than, for example, what we're doing right now during this conversation? Like what, you know, for someone who doesn't know what that means. So there are many different types of breath work. There's circular breathing, there's holotropic, there's biodynamic, trauma release, many different forms of breath work. You can go to breath work retreats and learn how to do this. You can have breath work sessions virtually or in person. Basically, you start off with a teacher who teaches you how to access these tools, trains you how to breathe in healing ways and then from there you can use utilize those practices in your daily life to access more power more passion more clarity more purpose it you you literally it acts as like a um breathwork is like is like a it's like a spiritual surgical tool like spiritual surgery it can clear out old wounds and blockages it's one of my favorite favorite um methods. So can someone look up YouTube videos and see different things and start doing practices today? And if so, what would be things they would search for on instructional videos? Like a few different types of breath work videos that someone could watch that if they were to watch those things would really be an amazing supplement to their life. Or does it have to be a one-on-one -on -one situation? No, 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 no. If, um, so the easiest level would be, yes, to get on YouTube. My teacher and one I really recommend for deeper work. So if you um, have a lot of pain inside of your body, if you experience a lot of sadness, if emotions are scary to you, if you feel like you're unable to 
do you always feel like you're out of place in life or can't relate to others? Like if you carry that kind of energy, I would look up biodynamic and trauma release breath work. And his name is Gitan. Gitan, I forget his last name, but BBTR with Gitan, biodynamic and trauma release with Gitan. That's an amazing place to start. He has hundreds of videos. And if possible, I would recommend starting with a friend so that you can do these practices with someone else because it's very, very powerful. And a lot of Gitan's work is, you can do it on your own, but to get the most out of it, do it with somebody that also wants to study this or someone that you feel safe with. And there's also holotropic breath, Lisa Denalvarez. And her website is blisspoint.co. And her stuff's amazing. So you could do this online. She also provides, she's a DJ as well. So she makes these tracks that are correlated to each of your chakras. The breathing sessions are about 30 minutes. And she takes you through this whole release where she guides you through the video or through the audio, whatever it is. I can't remember. Uh, audio. She's telling you what to do, when to do it, and you're going through this really unique musical experience that is great. Um, and then I also have stuff on my website and YouTube for more breath work. Amazing. On your website? Yes. All right, cool. We'll have links to that. Okay, so, so first thing is consciously learning how to breathe. What are some other things that, that people could really take in right now as a way of healing? whatever might be going on for them that you've learned along your path. Another question I find myself asking, uh, another question I ask myself many times a day is, is this really true? Byron Katie. Mm -hmm. Talk more about it. Well, I was introduced to that through Jody Mountain. Um, and yes, it is when I, when I spent more time and talked with her about it. Um, it is from the work of Byron Katie, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that for several months. Um, so Jody would always tell me to ask myself if it's true. And then she always gave me the analogy that I am one point of the infinite view of an ever evolving, constant changing, infinite view. And anyone else that I'm interacting with is just another point with a different perspective. And it's equally true. So after I asked myself, is it really true? I also ask, is there anything else here so so for an example is um my my partner and i got into a little bit of an argument right before this call and i was i got frustrated because i think he is negative and constantly shitting on things and making things harder than they need to be and when I slow down and ask myself, is that true? I realize, well, no, I'm all, it's only negative because I'm labeling it as that. If I didn't label it as negative, would it really be negative? I don't know. Probably not. And then from there, I ask, well, what else is here? I feel frustration and anger towards him, but what else is here? Okay, well, what else is here is that I feel ashamed that I just bit his head off for a really stupid reason. I feel embarrassed for acting so childish. I feel immense gratitude to be with him. And I feel like I want to apologize. I feel like you just start searching 
for what else is alive in that moment. And it helps you get out of this like tunnel vision, um, sharp focus view and expand it, which really helps me to calm the moment, calm my triggers and be more present than being so reactionary. Yeah, really feeling into what's real for you in that moment. Where'd you get that from? Is this, was this all Jody Mountain? Yes. Um, these are so just circling back to more ideas about how we can be our greatest healers or how we are our greatest healers and more tools that women can use for tapping into our healing powers. What are some other things you recommend? Another thing that helps me. <laughs> to stay out of my tiny, like, analytical, the, the part of my mind that just forgets how amazing we all are and how connected we all are is I eye gaze with myself in the mirror. Oh, I love that. Tell more about it. I create a beautiful space, and that looks different for everyone, but for me, it's... So I have, I have regular date nights with myself, where I treat myself, I love myself, I, I talk to myself the way I want to be spoken to. I buy myself whatever I want at dinner and flowers and I come home and my house is clean and it's just mine and I light candles and give myself body scrubs with essential oils and I'll dance sexy for myself in the mirror. I, whatever it is that I want, I do. And one of my favorite things is the eye gazing. So inside of a really beautiful setting on an amazing night, I will usually stand in a full length mirror naked. And I, I guess I hold my own gaze in the mirror <laughs> for at least seven minutes. And I allow the emotions to come. There's usually laughing and crying and the whole, like the whole spectrum of emotion always comes up. And then I allow words of encouragement and love and truth to spill out of my mouth until I can't go anymore. Words to my inner little girl. And I tell her how beautiful and creative and magical she is and how I love how wild she is. And I encourage her to keep playing and how beautiful and powerful her curiosity is and that I will always promise to protect that and cultivate that. I see myself as a teenager and I encourage my sexuality and I will touch my own breasts and I will enjoy my body so that she knows that she's safe to enjoy hers. I'll see myself as an adult. Whatever comes, I allow. There's no rules that I put on this other than being in love with myself. And I'll usually record it, like I'll voice record it and listen to that a few times during the week or whenever it is that I forget and that I need encouragement. Oh, wow. That is so powerful. <laughs> I highly recommend. It's a really great night. I mean, you know, just just really like shows just what kind of an – I mean, were you able to, from the first time you tried it, get all that out? Oh, no. Or did it take practice to be able to get to this? Because that sounds incredible. But I don't know if I could, if I tried it, you know, the first time I try it, I don't know if it um, will be as, you know, much crescendo as what you're describing here. No. 
this took me years. The first few dates, I would sit and, first of all, I couldn't even eye gaze for more than a couple of minutes. I started with just eye gazing right after I brushed my teeth in like a white bathroom, just, you know, like I started out with bare bones. And I remember the first time <laughs> looking at myself in the mirror and absolutely hating my body because of how I believed that it betrayed me and how every time I looked in the mirror, I saw my rapist and hating myself. And I could not say anything kind. And I remember that day, the only goal was to just look at myself. Wow. So it's taken years to get to where I am at and it was not fun. I've screamed, I've screamed, I've, I allowed myself permission. I would used to push all my furniture out. I actually still do this on days that I need to release more energy, but in the beginning, I didn't know how to handle the rape. So it looked like me just fucking figuring it out. So I would push all my furniture. I'd lock my house doors and I would put on a random, I, I would pick songs that had high intensity on different ends of the spectrum. So like everything from Enya to rock music to dirty rap to everything and I put on shuffle and I would just I would not it's not dancing I would just allow myself to move my body and feel every emotion that came up I remember screaming punching pillows and I would I would move until all like every ounce of my life energy was just on the fucking floor because I would work so hard to connect to my body. So that's what date nights used to look like. And now I can sit and I gaze with myself all night and tell myself how much I love myself. That's but a that's beautiful <laughs> journey. Holy cow. So also that speaks to the value and the benefit of practice. You put in the work. Tons of work. Yeah. Healing isn't just something that you snap your fingers. You had to really let yourself go to some places, huh? Some difficult, difficult places. Well, and there's no wrong way to do it. Follow whatever it is. If you can do this with loving kindness, with a, with a bit of gentleness, for anything that comes up, allow yourself to do anything. But, but do it. Do it. You know, because otherwise, you, you know, without excuses, like you set the time, right? Is it a certain amount of time? Because otherwise... It's putting in the work. There's no wrong way to do it wrong. There's no way to do it wrong unless you don't do it, it sounds like, because you really put in the time. Yeah, if you if you want to love yourself, if you want to love your life, and if you want to stop being miserable, there's, you're going to have to make some changes. And it all just depends on how much you want it because we all have the same amount of time in a day and all of us are just as busy. But if you want it, you absolutely can have it. And how many? how often do you recommend doing this? So I, when I was starting out, I needed a lot of work, needed a lot of love. So I did my date nights at least twice a week, full nights. They're several hours long of self-care, love, breath work, baths, what, whatever feels like the most loving thing for you to do. That's your therapy. That's your date night. Let it be that. There's no rules. But I did it at least two nights a week, sometimes, you know, three or four. It, it's less now, but I don't, I'm not so starved now, so it can be. But I would say follow, follow your truth. Beautiful. 
That's such an extraordinary piece of advice. Oh, thank you. Um, what's another powerful practice that you can share? Um, what's coming to mind is what I call pussy talk. And this, I also do on my date nights. I also do this when I'm, I tend to hit like a three o'clock lull, like my energy just dies down every day. And so I like to do pussy magic or some sort of like pleasure practice or breath work to wake myself back up. <laughs> um, and I use that creative energy for work. Like I imagine myself realizing all the work things that I want, or it doesn't have to always be work, but that's if it's the three o'clock and during the week, that's usually what it's around. So I try to have that as often as possible, but pussy talk is one of my favorite things to do. And it's also inside of a beautiful ritualistic space. So again, this is, you know, in my, in my office, I've got these beautiful chandeliers and multiple plants and I have these cloud pillows that I'll go and lay on and have my coconut oil and I'll get naked. And so it's just so much of what you get out of it really, really is just what you put into it. So the intention and attention that you put into it is what you will get. So that's why I really heavily describe my environment because I, I care and the amount of care that I put in, I get out. So I'll take my break and I start with cupping one hand over the other and holding my vulva. And you can do this disclosed or clothed, whatever you want, but I like skin to skin. So I'll just cup and I'll breathe for maybe five minutes. I'll breathe in and out of my womb. So as I breathe through my mouth, my attention and intention is focusing on my womb. So it's almost like I could breathe out of my, of my vaginal opening, of my pussy. And I start to just notice the sensations that are constantly arising there. So sometimes, well, let me do it right now, let's see. So as I breathe in and out, I can feel like, it's like right above my pubic bone, my bladder kind of rising and falling with breath. I feel heat on my pussy lips. There's a tingle in my left finger that I can feel on my vulva. And so I just, after I've breathed for a few minutes, I just notice the rising sensations and I say them out loud. It's called a body scan. So you're just noticing the sensations. You're not judging them. They're often just like lightning fast. And you just say that out loud. You connect to your vulva for a minute. And then when you feel complete with that, I keep breathing and I drop my awareness into my vulva as if I am my vulva speaking to my head, speaking to Coco. And so if I do that now, I feel a smile across my face. I see, I feel like it's almost like liquidy, like waters. It's like too, I feel like, um, I see my vulva's like, two veils, two curtains that are split, but they're, they're waterfalls. And if I were to ask her what she wants to say, 
Coco version talking to my vulva, my vulva would say, I just keep getting that I am the cleansing powers. I am your cleansing powers. And I nourish. And then I switch my awareness back into Coco, talking to my vulva. And I just feel a smile coming across my face again, and I feel deep gratitude because I, I currently have a hemorrhoid. <laughs> and so I feel very, I just, when I get, I get hemorrhoids, and um, my vulva tears a lot in sex. And so I always, I've always, I just kind of get frustrated with her because I don't feel like a real woman, and I feel like I'm super sensitive, or I just get frustrated with her. And so to have her, remind me that she is the cleansing waters feels really good so i if if i if i wasn't here with you right now i would stay in that and keep going back and forth but that is just that's what i call pussy talk and it helps to my man it fuck it helps with a lot of things tell me about some of the things it helps with i think most women most of us are so disconnected from our bodies from our pussies I don't know how many women actually have conversations with their pussies. Yeah. And if they are, they're usually mean, which is a, even me. I literally, literally like, just told you how I feel about her, how my head feels about her. And I push her so hard and I'm never grateful for her and I forget. And then when we drop our awareness, it helps us to connect with our bodies. It increases our sensitivity in sex. It helps with vaginal health like literally it can rebalance a ph i had a yeast infection for nine months after being raped this helps so it boosts health better orgasms more sensitivity like you feel more connected to your being and it reshapes how we think about ourselves other women sexuality and it's it's been a very very beautiful practice in my life well it makes sense that having this as a practice would increase sensitivity because you're really stopping and noticing deeply and practicing being sensitive to your pussy. Which is a really great thing. (laughs) Which is a really great thing. I mean, it's also fucking hard though. Like she's, she's mad at me often, even now. And we have to create and work uh, we have to work to create a healthy relationship. My head does not just get to run the show. And most people, that's the way that we live, which is why we're so unhappy and we can't figure out the problem and we're constantly at war with ourselves and life's never fulfilling and and we, we're, we're this puzzle we can't figure out because we're only living in our intellectual bodies and we're forgetting the other six. So it's it doesn't, we never feel full. And this is one way that can bridge those those gaps. You know, it's hard for the reasons you state, but I also think it's hard just, it sounds incredible to me, the idea of making this time and having this ritual and setting up the space and going through this exercise day after day. It's amazing that you've made this much time for for yourself and your life. And in a, in a beautiful, I mean that in the most beautiful way, like really investing and feeling good and doing the healing work. It's, it seems to me quite extraordinary the amount of time that you um, set aside for it. And I, and I really see from just knowing you and you're the kind of person you are that 
how much can people could really benefit from doing that. It's extraordinary. That everything that is within is without. So if my own sexual relationship, my, my relationship with myself is just okay, that's my longest term sexual relationship. And if that one's just okay, then anybody I add to this mix, in the beginning it'll be fun, because of course it will, because it's new. But this is my foundation, and it's gonna end up being just okay. Or actually, probably not even just okay, because then I gotta deal with all their shit, and their emotional baggages, and their, their whole universe. So I, I do, investing in yourself, I, I, I believe it's the most important thing. Yeah, no, you really have said, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, we're, we're souls having a human experience. I forget who said that, but it's true. And so if I'm a soul going through this planet, this life, this earth, and I'm in this vehicle, this physical container for however long I've got, and I can only see the world through my lens and my experiences, then I am going to invest in myself because that's literally all I have. And when I am full, then the energy that I emanate and what I radiate and what I attract and what I create is full. And so I meet people at that same wavelength, vibration, phase of life, whatever, however, you know, I'm trying to be too woo-woo, but like attracts like. So the more I love myself, the more I talk to my pussy, the more I eye gaze with myself, the better conversations I have, the better relationships I have, the more money I make, the better sleep I get. Like, it really is all about me. <laughs> and it really is all about you. That's the way I see it, at least. I love how you said all we have in this lifetime to invest in is ourselves and our energy and the, um, the quality of the energy that that comes through us, which I guess really does take practice. I learned that from my mom. My mom was exhausted and depleted and depressed. And just, it just felt like she was dying because she was so unhappy. And she did, she was like that because she put her husband before her. She put four children before her. She never took care of herself. And so every interaction she came to was half dead. And I have seen it in most humans now and the ones that I have met and interacted with that are truly happy are happy because they've created it for themselves not from a selfish egotistical I'm better than you that that's not true that's not truth but from a, a true place I have seen it work every single time but it's a very backwards way of thinking from normal society and I get that no it seems it makes so much sense it makes so much sense, and it's it's really extraordinary. The example you set and the amount of time you really dedicate to it, it's, um, it's stunning. Like, I feel, <laughs> I think of myself, I look at myself and think, wow, I take great care of myself because I exercise regularly, regularly, and I make time to cook and prepare healthy food for myself, and I'm, I just, I take, I consider myself someone who takes care of myself very well. But yeah. what you are describing to me right now is on a whole other level. I am it is so good. 
<laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing that you really do that. I'm so impressed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, and then it gets even better because I'm now in a partnership that even though I almost ate his head off earlier today before the call, <laughs> it really is an amazingly fulfilling relationship. And we can take those practices into partnership. And then it's all of my life meeting all of his, his or her life and what we create together. It's like Annie and Evan said, one plus one equals three. And that third, that relationship entity is far greater than the two of you could do on your own. And human connection is the most incredible gift we have on this earth. And the, the relational practices, especially in the more the it's the sexual space because that's our lower chakra that's you know there's the first chakra of just safety and existence and then right above it is our sexual energy and so when we can one we're alive and we find a partner step two is all about sexuality and so when we can bring tantra and bdsm and erotic play into our relationship the connection and the power that you're able to cultivate it as a unit is just mind-blowing all right so here's the deal then we're having a second podcast another time where we're <laughs> going to have it be all about partners and um Tantra and BDSM practices that you can recommend for partners for having even more growth uh, through the space of a partner. Is that a yeah. deal? Oh my God. Pussy, pussy massage and breast massage is going to blow your mind. I can't wait for all of it. This is perfect. This has been such an enlightening interview. I'm so glad we got to have this talk. I know. Me too. I'm so happy you asked. Yeah. I'm so happy you said yes. You're, you're extraordinary. Oh, thank you. So where can people listening go to learn more? Where, they can, where can people find your work? Um, yeah, my work is at the McKenzie Institute. Um, I spell my last name M-C-K-E-N-Z-I institute.com. And that's my digital library. It's where all the love lives. I have a weekly vlog that goes out and it's on love, sex, and leadership. And it's, it's juicy. We talk about everything. My last week we were talking about my three favorite practices to get out of your head in bed. The week before that was female leadership inside of the workplace. So that's love, sex and leadership is what we focus on. And we have a great growing community and that's where my coaching packages and personal retreats and all that stuff lives too. So I'd love to get to know you guys more and play and just continue to love each other. All right. Well, I'll have links to that below and I look forward to another great conversation one day because it sounds like we only scratched the surface. <laughs> Yay. I'm excited. All right. Beautiful. Thank you for being on my podcast. Oh, thank you. And now I would love to hear from you. Coco shared a ton of wisdom during the interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources that can help you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, 
a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, a guidebook for finding your lesbian soulmate, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to find your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.